Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, how's it going? This is Willis, producer of all the podcasts here at the North Star. Today, Shine is taking the day off, and we're going to play a special episode of Woke at Work. We hope you enjoy. I am Blanca. And I am Ray. And this is Woke at Work. started uh, teaching uh, in different schools, but within the same org. Um, and we were both teachers, reading teachers, different grades. Um, and really, like, didn't connect, connect until many years later when we both became principals. Um, and both were, like, the first female principals, was it? We were both female, first female principals in the network. Mm-hmm. And then we were both women of color. And we were both, like, what the hell are we doing? Um, and then from there, I think it was just like one of those kind of moments where you look at each other, you're like, we ain't got to say much, but wow, this is hard. Um, Mm. and then, and then from there, I ended up building a stronger bond where we found out we were both pregnant with our first kids, uh, two (laughs) weeks apart. And it was like, guess what? I'm pregnant. Me too. You know, kind of thing. (laughs) And then, um, it kept going to like, Hey, we're sitting at home from attorney leave. Like we got this email saying, Hey, do you guys want to do a doctorate program? We're both sitting there sleep deprived, like pumping and like breastfeeding and texting each other. We're like, let's do it. <laughs> and so we pursued a doctorate program together and then decided to have a second kid in the process and just have become amazing friends, sisters, and just talk a lot about not just our experiences as as people in the world, but as women of color uh, in educational spaces and workspaces, women of color moms, um, and just just different walks of life. So I'm excited to have Amber actually tell her story. I just told about how we (laughs) met, but there's way more to her than that. Um, And yeah, Dr. Amber Field. Oh, wow. Self to the listeners. Thank you, Dr. Ruiz Williams. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was so yeah. sweet um, and thorough. I don't even know my life. It, this is sound really cheesy. I'm like, I don't know my life before I met you, Blanca. What was, when was it? What happened? <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, you shared it with me, but no. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But um, yeah, I, I, I love thinking about my journey and my trajectory uh, into being an educator. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the way that I, you know, decide I had made this big change and stepped down from being an educator, but here I am and I'm still here today. Uh, 20 years ago, I love that I get to say 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, I became a teacher, third grade teacher in Harlem. And I now live, to, uh, I live, um, one no two blocks away from my first school where I taught oh, um, wow. I always love the way things yeah the way things come back full circle PS 153 um, I stayed there for a couple of years headed over to um, one of our country's largest um, our country and our city's largest charter management organizations um, 
and shot up the ranks from teacher, grade level chair, assistant principal, principal, mm-hmm. uh, um, org wide leader, org wide senior leader. Um, and then, you know, decided one day that there was still more for me out there and I felt like I hit a ceiling there. And so I went after the big job, um, and got one. Um, I'd like to think, of course, um, and uh, and really and, and headed over and became a graduate level professor and a national director of a training program um, and uh, and realized that I had done all that. And 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 in the meantime, earned a doctorate uh, and realized that I was not where I was supposed to be. Mm. Um, I'm a, pretty faithful person. I am very faithful. Faith is a foundation. If if I were to think about my identity markers, uh, being a woman of faith, being a Christian is the first thing I always say. And I felt called that, that my life as, um, as a K to 12 educator and a teacher of teachers had come to an end. Um, and so that I feel, and then I fought it for a long time and said, no, I can't leave this job. Like I got a mortgage. I have two kids. I have plans there there's a way that I want to live my life that leaving this job without going any without knowing where I'm going to next I don't like that's not how that doesn't make sense to me and it certainly didn't make sense to my husband who was like that's not how he thinks either (laughs) (laughs) he was like how are you going to leave your job and not have another one laid out but uh but being faithful and, and just looking at the numbers gave myself a window I gave myself four months to to resign from my job and just figure out what the world, what God, what the universe um, had for me, had in store for me. I love that. that. Was August. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love that story. You know, um, I feel like this is a theme that comes up in, in our conversation so often um, on this podcast is women of color just really owning their lives and um, making decisions that benefit them, you know, on purpose, even when it's difficult. Um, can you talk some about your um well, I want to hear about your transition from this big name job into doing something different. But first, can you talk about some of your experiences in in that big name job? You know, I think we often set our sights on like, I'm going to do that one day. Like you describe like being a teacher and then a great level chair and then, you know, kind of climbing, climbing, climbing. Um, mm-hmm. And then what was when when you got this big name job in this big position, um, this high level executive, was it what you expected it to be? That is such a great question. So, so I, you know, I came to this place, this place where I was like, I know I've hit my ceiling at, at the in the role that I was in, and I was like, now I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm supposed to be in charge of a big team. I'm supposed to make big decisions. I'm supposed to make more money. Um, and so I, when I, and so I was able to, you know, I've been had been in the network for 13 years and able to find that exact position. And so when I got there, um, it was, it was really hard. It was not, um, you know, I, one never felt like I fit in, Mm -hmm. right. There was something about it that always felt off that I see people like I, I'm, I'm a friendly person. I make, I create relationships pretty quickly. Um, and, 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 but there was just something about the work that I really struggled with. Um, I was in charge of the partnership between the graduate school where I was working and a large um, alternate teaching 
organization, alternative teaching pathway organization, and I'm in charge of the training for hundreds of teachers um, in New York City. Mm. And um, working with this t- with the other team, um, just I, I I struggled to to for, with strategy and and really seeing the big picture of everything we needed to see. And I couldn't, and, and at the same time, <laughs> no, I, it was the, the work that I was called to do may have been um, an important part of the organization I worked for, but wasn't a priority. Mm. So when I came on the team, my manager, the woman who was managing me or my direct manager was not there. Um, she was on maternity leave. And so I had an interim manager who, you know, was just, because everybody needs a manager. Um, and I didn't know how the team functioned. I didn't, I just, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that says, well, okay, some work needs to get done. I'm going to go ahead and do it without really, without realizing or knowing the culture of the organization where it's, a, it's, it was a team effort and right. Mm. And that everybody played a role in executing these large projects. And, and I don't necessarily feel like anybody told me that either. Right. So Right? That's the so, thing about culture. It's it always yeah. exists within, you know, spaces and organizations and but it often goes unspoken. And mm-hmm. if you are new to that organization, um, if you are not a part of even to bring race into it, if you are not a part if it's a white dominant organization and they have cultural norms and expectations and ways of being, and then we as women of color come in with our cultural background. And even though we've been socialized into white dominant culture, because you can't be a person of color in this country and not be socialized into, you know, white dominant cultural expectations, but it doesn't mean that they're always um, certainly not explicitly stated. And, and so just like what you're saying, like about, not feeling like you fit in, not feeling like certain things were explained to you, like you were taking on the mantle of doing these things. And probably I'm assuming maybe you've gotten the, you know, the accusation of not being a team player or something. You're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that was the expectation, you know, in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. How did you, when you were wait, wait, even it, before we, wait, go wait, ahead. Before, <laughs> before you do that, because yeah. it just makes me think of like, uh, when I feel like when, cause I do a lot of stuff on like culture and like how it's a lot of unseen things, but also like, what's the scheme or what's the like prior knowledge or the previous stuff that we bring into these spaces. Right. And so I know that as I've coached so many women of color, right. But as a woman of color, I don't, I can't even, I don't want to rely on you for fear of you not feeling like I am competent, right? Like I don't, so it's like, it's not even that I don't know how to communicate. There's not even those pieces, but I wonder too, when women of color or like, you know, folks of color, like what does it mean to enter a workspace that is white dominant and feel like I don't want to ask for help or even ask my team to do things or tell my team to do things for fear of it being, um, like not being seen as, as, uh, as, as, as I don't want to be seen as incompetent. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I end up carrying yeah. the weight. Mm-hmm. I end up trying to figure it out. Don't worry, y'all. I got this. I got this. I got this. Right. Yes. Like I'm gonna figure this out. Right. And so I don't yeah. know. It's just like, I don't, I know you were going to ask something, Ray, but I was like, it just makes me think of, hold on. Like Amber and I joked about this, Olivia Pope. I figure this out. Right. I'm walking with my badass outfit and I'm gonna figure this out. Right. Yeah. Like, 
Um, what does she say? She says, I'll handle it. I'll that handle is always it. her light. I'll handle it. And so what you both are, are bringing up is very much so, was very much so my expectation. I, and I know this about myself. I have anxiety around asking questions mm. because, and for wherever that comes from way down deep in the mm-hmm. seed of my existence right. and my subconscious that, that for me, questions reflect incompetence. They reflect um, things that I should already know the answer to. And then when you take a step back and look at, when I take a step back and look at it, I'm like, I just joined an organization. How in the world would I know the answers to all of these questions? Um, and, 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 I, and I also see there's such a difference in the way people experience new positions and when things are off. Right. Mm-hmm. So, because what does it mean for me to ask questions like, well, who's in charge of this? How has this been done before? Why is it doing? Why is it? Why are we doing it like this? Why can't we do it this other way? Um, Did you ask this- those questions, or is or is that in retrospect you feeling like those are questions that you should have asked? Because I feel like I've often experienced, like as a woman of color, I am always battling my own mind in terms of like, okay, I don't want to come off as too challenging, you know? And so yeah, if I do start to ask those probing kinds of questions of, well, why are we doing it this way? Or have we considered it that way? And what about this? Then I'm afraid I'm going to come off as overly aggressive, you know? Of course. Well, yeah. And that, and, and, and I did not ask those questions. I felt like I needed to, you know, take what I understood about the expectations and work with that. Um, and then I, uh, and I didn't want to be too, I didn't want to ask too many questions or, or rock the boat too much. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my household, our, my, my mother's message who I love dearly. She's one of my best friends. She raised me to quote unquote, keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And that is how I, that is how I function. Um, and I, and then something that's like in my, in my, always in my head though, I pay attention to over these past few years as I've grown, um, is the way that people, how, who gets to ask questions oh. and who gets to come to the table and say, wait a minute, like this isn't, this, something's not right. Right. You come, you've already had all of these pre-thoughts before you even show up. If you want to just ask a question, it's not even like being uh, conflict driven or being the dissident. I just, I just need clarity, but that my clarity may be misinterpreted as, as Ray said, as I'm not, now I'm not cultural aligned. I'm not a fit. Mm-hmm. I'm not all these other things. Um, it just is like, I just think about the weight that is put on. And so then that, yeah. So you know what? I'm not going to ask any questions. You know what I am going to do? I'm going to handle it. I'm going to mm-hmm. figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I mean, I know well, Amber and I have talked about this, like on, on our virtual, our own virtual version of therapy couch like for years right it's just like well what does that even mean um and so i'll always say this to listeners out there who are white and are in organizations and like have folks that they're working with right it is it is a seeing how people show up and work while it's not all aligned everything is not different there are multiple layers that we are bringing in in terms of our identities and that's a function of white privilege is that you don't get to think about all of that. You don't have to think about all of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but that mm-hmm. we have already come in the door, not only thinking about it, but have experienced it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amber, when did you know, when did you know that you needed to do something different? It, it sounds mm-hmm. like you were mostly like, I guess, unsupported 
and not really set up for success in terms of Mm -hmm. being new, your direct manager being out, not really being onboarded to the the culture. That is the benefit of mentorship and sponsorship, Um, especially for people of color in white dominant organizations. You have someone that understands, you know, your lens and where you're coming from and how you operate and can help onboard you you know, to this new, this other environment and their set of expectations. Um, mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you didn't have that, but decided to make the best of it, you know, anyway, to charge forward, to handle it, like Olivia Pope said. <laughs> um, but when yes. did you realize that you no longer wanted to fight that fight? If you're a business owner who's hiring, you probably face a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role. ZipRecruiter can help. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with only one click. Then, ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employees who post on ZipRecruiters get a quality candidate within the first day. So, while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you are looking for. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash shine. Once again, remember to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash S-H-A-U-N. Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. But when did you realize that you no longer wanted to fight that fight? Oh. (laughs) Through all the tears. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Let me see. Uh, 2016. Oh, it was. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I think I know the moment. But well, no. I blog Please tell me what was it. But like, I mean, no. there were there. This was a very layered decision. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that happened over time because I went into year two ready to go at it again. Mm-hmm. I I because I was like, okay, year one was a struggle, and um. Here, like I was still in the, I have to make lots, I have to make all the changes that any, like the things that didn't work out were a reflection of my faults. Mm. And so I'm going to make all of these changes. Um, and it actually was in two things happened. One, um, in my end of year review, sitting with, um, who I consider to be a great advocate for me, my, the, the, my manager who did, who, who eventually did come back. Um, when we were reviewing, you know, my performance and I was reflecting on, um, I think it was about, I didn't, you know, like, like speaking up or advocating, right. It was that moment. And then, and then she was like, you know, in my previous job, I had a similar challenge and it was because I didn't want to do the job. Mm. And I actually, and she's like, and I said, oh my God, that's go, That's what, I don't want to do this work. She's like, great, don't do it. <laughs> and in that moment, I never. I'd, I stepped down from the role. It was that, quote, it was that easy. 
or, or, or her support in that role to say, it's okay. And, and it wasn't, I didn't experience it in the, you are incapable and, and I'm firing you. It was, this is not the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. And I, and I respect you enough to, and I, and I want you here and let's find the right fit for you. Yeah. Um, so that, that happened first. And then the second thing that happened was I just, I was having, this is where my, my spirituality comes in. I, I know God was banging, like hitting me over the head with, it is time for you to change. This is not the walk that I have planned for you. Mm. And that was in the fall. That was the fall of 2017 where he, where I know he was saying, you have to leave, you have to leave, you have to step down. And I was scared. Um, and then I was making all these shifts and changes to make it all work. Yeah. Um, and then in the spring of, uh, 2018, um, you know, you know, that time at work where everybody announces promotions and mm-hmm. when they're leaving mm-hmm. and changes, I had, it, before that meeting, I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this work. And I sat in that meeting and fought to hold all the tears back oh. because I heard everybody saying they were leaving, they were promoted, they were moving on. And I was like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't take it any longer. And I was like, I have to go, I have to leave. And mm. I had, I, I held my tears in, in that meeting and like left the room and broke all the way down. And I came home that night and I told my husband, I have to go. Yeah. And then, um, and then, and then I, yeah. And that was at that moment that I, that it was it, that I had to, I had to make a strong decision that this was not it. And it was time for me to, to leave. I so identify with that. Because that was, that was, that sounds almost exactly like how I left my previous job. It was just like a series of like me trying to come to grips with the fact that, you know, one, I felt very much unsupported in that role, but two, really having the realization that I didn't want that role. And I don't know why Mm -hmm. that was so hard for me to admit. Um, I, I, I don't know if it was just like, I didn't want to, it felt like failure. It's like, there is nothing I can't do if I put my mind to it. You know, I can mm-hmm. make it work. I can fix the thing. I can be great. You know, all of this, it's all fixable. And and then finally realizing like, you know what? It, it just isn't. And it was like a series of things. It's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go to um, part-time. Okay. I'm going to go to less than part-time, like trying to ease my way, inch my way out of it. And then finally being like, my, my therapist was just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, you don't want to do this. And I don't know why it was so hard to just let it go. But I so identify with you, like sitting there in that moment, all full of emotion and just Mm -hmm. being like, you know what? Okay. Let's just, I'm, yeah, yeah. I do wonder how much of this also has to. Sorry, but I do wonder how much of this also has to do with like representation. If not me, then who? Mm, right. Like yes. I'm here for all the people who like who are saying because of me I can. Right. Like and so particularly, I mean, I think in both of you know in all of our spaces, we have all worked in education in a different capacity, and so. Yes, education has been around forever, but the amount of people that seem to move up to these like senior level positions within education starts to dwindle as, you know, as, as women of color, like the numbers just dwindle. And so it's like, well, wait, I'm helping to charter a path, right? Mm-hmm, Oftentimes, mm-hmm. like the first of, of people, right? Like if, yeah. we, if we had to really think about like, well, wait, has anybody else held this role? Am I the person who held this role first? And it's just mm-hmm. like, well, 
you know, so it's not, I, I always feel like it's, I'm not leaving when, even when I left like my principal role, my first thing was not about why I left it for me and my own personal reasons, but like the impact it would have on all the other people who saw this as, as some form of a, like, you know, like I was carrying a whole lot. And so I just wonder like how much of that too was in there. But like, I know that for you. I will tell you. Yeah. So, um, when I decided to step down and we made the decision, I was on the 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 leadership team. Like I was on the senior leadership team at all the head, you know, exec level meetings. And um, that was not from everybody, but that was the thing that other people of color came up to me and said. But I specifically remember one conversation that said, I'm just so disappointed that you're no longer at the table. Mm. Yeah, that's such a burden and, to carry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, now I had, I, the weight had come off my shoulders. I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold that for you. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Absolutely. but I recognized the way that people saw me and the importance of my role in the organization. And, and, and it was important that I was able to be at the table, you know, um, but we had to make decisions, right? So and, tell and, us what that was what, important. What that opened up the door for, like what happens? Because I feel like this is yeah. like a good story, and like okay, so that we got through all of that, and now, yeah, where are you? yes. Or what happened well, after that? Okay. What happened after like, that? Uh huh. I feel like I should be having a drink right now. Uh huh. Girl, tell me what happened next. Tell me. <laughs> Front row. What she said. <laughs> Yeah. So after trying to, um, like you said, Ray, go back, I was like, okay, can we do 80%? Okay. Can we do 50%? I was trying to work all that out. Right. Cause at the end of the day, 50% is more than no job at all. Right. So I was like still trying to hold on to my salary. Um, but I, um, in August of 2018, I fully 100% resigned and people asked, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. I said, it will come to me. And uh, he will show me what it is that he wants me to do, speaking of God. And um, from August through I, I, from August through December, I had lots of coffee with friends. I did a lot of volunteering, <laughs> um, a lot of running. I run and, uh, and just figuring out like what else the world had to offer. And um, one of the things that I love that I that I came to was that um, I learned how to that it was okay to live life on God's terms mm. because I live life on I think as a society for myself I had goals around living life on like society's terms and, and expectations of what what success looked like and what it looks like to climb the ladder and what how I should raise my kids. And I, and I finally let go and realized, you know, God actually has a greater plan, a better plan than mine or anybody else's. And if I could let go and go along with what he's telling me to do, I, I bet it's going to be better than anything I could have ever dreamed of. Mm. And so, and it has been, it has been, I ended up um, coming across, starting in January, I started looking again um, for, for another position. Um, after I learned a couple of things, one, I learned that I, I've always known that I had a, a just, I, I'm obsessed with reading, um, 
social justice nonfiction. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I had this question, like, can I, I'm like, how do we fix racism? And what that boiled down, right? I'm like, can we fix, I was like, what can I do, Jesus? What can I do to end racism? What it boiled down to me was helping people to see each other and to see the humanity in every single person. And so I realized I have a heart for people experiencing homelessness. I started an organization called Ready to Give, which does two things. Um, one, it helps people, regular people who are, um, helps people know what to do and what to say when they're asked for money on New York City subways and New York City streets. Oh. Um, we're, we're approached. We don't know. We get really awkward and we ignore people, but there is something that you can actually do hmm. within reason that's helpful. And so I help people understand that. And, and, and that is about like giving tangible resources, but it's also about widening your circle of compassion. And so my answer to the question of can racism be fixed, um, there's a lot in there, but Amber Fields' answer is that we can start with seeing the humanity of each other. That's um, so great. And so that, yeah. And uh, so I started that organization. Um, we, we host dinners to train people on how to do that work. Um, I started teaching in my church and I got into, I feel called to ministry um, and preaching. And so I started doing that. And then I started working for an organization focused on Black women's health and wellness. I'm the director of training there. And it is a 100% f- Black female organization. Um, and it is, it could, going back to living on God's terms, it could not, I would have never come up to that on my in my own way. Yeah. Like, that came to me. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, what was the transition like? I mean, that was, that's like a... That's like a full-on 360. You just went from like, <laughs> from well, it's actually, I guess it's not 360, but you just shifted completely from what you had been doing for like, like totally, years. yeah, yeah. So, like, what was that like? What was it like to even go to a black female, like wellness, or like this is not about other people. It is about centering you and your wellness before others um, and then as a path for others. So like, what was that like? Oh, first of all, it was a blessing because Mm -hmm. I think we all know, I firmly believe that we all know when things are off and when things are just not right. And I think I held on to this life a decade 15 years longer than I probably should have to be Mm -hmm. perfectly honest with you. Right. So, um, I, uh, so I felt secure in knowing that there is life outside of this life that I created, right. Or that I thought I needed to live. Um, and so what was it like? It was a small organization, just with like around 15, 16 women. Um, and the first thing I noticed about it is, is the focus on living the mission that they've designed for the women that we serve, mm. that we live it as a team in that our self-care, um, the way that we care for each other, the relationships we have with each other, the way that we think about the work is the bottom line is on the person. Um, and I think, and, and, and obviously, of course, like numbers are important. We set goals and we work hard to reach them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't do that in a way that ignores the people, like ignores the fact that we are, we are saying that black women are dying yeah. disproportionately 
from many illnesses and from stress. Yeah. So if so we're going to need to be an organization that does not add <laughs> to that is the part as part of the solution and does not add to the problem. What I love about your journey is just that, you know, obviously you didn't know the end from the beginning. And so you weren't like at your first, you know, organization being like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because I see down the line that I'm going to find, found a nonprofit. I'm going to be more involved in my church. I'm going to find this fabulous job. Like you didn't know that. Right. But I think Mm -hmm. that your story is a testament to what happens when you own the truth of where you are, the truth of how you're feeling, the truth of whether or not this is actually working for you and, Mm -hmm. and stepping out, whether for you, it's stepping out on faith or whatever someone, you know, belief tradition is just stepping out of knowing that this isn't working for me. I don't know what's next, Mm -hmm. but I know this isn't it. And believing that there's something better, you know, something different um, on the other side of it. And I love that. I feel like as black women, we don't often have the space to make those kinds of decisions or sometimes we don't feel like we do. And I love that you, that you own that, that moment and have been so open to what's next. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and the last thing I'll say about it is I, in, in speaking of the white supremacist culture is, and now I was raised in a way that said, I I have heard the quote in my home when I was raised, uh, just do what white people do. Mm. Like that is just do right. So that design, that, that framework designed where we lived, the schools we went to, um, what was and was not acceptable in terms of our career choices. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and, and I have grown to understand, and I think that this, you know, speaks to my journey that it's, it's hard. It's, it, it kills us when we try to get what was never designed for us. Mm. Oh my gosh. That's so deep. Mm -hmm. And when we, we fight so hard and we know that the bar keeps moving, right? Like no matter how much we do, we're going to change. The rules are always going to change. Mm. And, and I, and I decided that I don't want to, I don't want to hurt myself, hurt my family. I have two daughters. I don't want to hurt my children in an attempt to, to prioritize something that was not designed for them. Mm. And I believe that we can make different choices and still have outcomes that are in our best interest. Oh my gosh. Yay. I know. Love that. <laughs> Everyone needs life insurance, but it can be hard to know where to start. That's why Policy Genius is here to help. They make finding the right life insurance for you quick and easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes to find your best price. Since their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies, there's zero hassle. If you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything. The best part? 
all the benefits of policy genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice are totally free to use. You could save 50% or more by comparing life insurance quotes and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. We've come to the part in our podcast where we invite our guests to share a wow story. This is like a woke at work story. I cannot believe this just happened. I can't believe this person just said that to me. And so, Amber, do you have a wow story? (laughs) I do. I do. So I remember um, a time when I was helping some teammates across schools navigate um, a disagreement or some um, discontentedness around um, one of our teammates was chosen to do some curriculum work and another one was not. Mm. Um, one of the two women, one woman was a woman of color. The other woman was uh, is a white woman. And um, I had to sit with, or I decided to sit with the white woman to have a conversation about, you know, what she, just, just to just clear the air about what was going on. Um, the decision, by the way, wasn't mine in terms of whose work was chosen. It was chosen by an outside company. Mm. And um, I just, I wanted, but we all had to work very closely together to design curriculum and, um, uh, and, and, you know, for the kids. So I, when I sat down with her, you know, she, she was just livid. You know, I can't believe that. Why would they, you know, why would they choose her work over mine? I feel like, you know, she, a lot of her work was inspired by my work. And she says, I mean, maybe if they were just looking for a person of color, cause they needed some oh. diversity. Oh. oh my gosh. So she played the race card. <laughs> she, yes. Yes. And, wow. so? and in that moment, um, oh we can God. get into my, my fight or flight or freeze response. Um, <laughs> but I am a woman who keeps the peace. And so I responded very tactfully, yeah. um, about just, you know, this is, you know, the decision was based on the quality of work and that's the decision that they went with. Oh my God. Wow. Damn. Yeah, that is definitely, yeah. That's definitely a wow. I'm, it's like you didn't. She didn't see you. Like she didn't look at you and like think any of this either. Like this. Yeah. No, this was a this. There was there was another person in the room. Um, there was three of us in the room. It's like a conversation between two people, and that's exactly what she said. And I always think about that moment because um, this is a this is an organization that serves black and brown people. Mm. Right. Our job is to level the playing field and to to provide opportunity. And so yeah. there's always an assumption, you know, that that organizations like these are ahead of the game. Mm. And in a lot of cases, that's not the case. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. And that if you're coming, if you're coming to these kind of organizations to do this work and that you are coming with like a set of of beliefs and, and things that align with, you know, um, you know, just the purpose of the organization and understanding the nature and the history of discrimination and everything. And, and so when you have a conversation like that 
and you talk to somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're playing the reverse racism, reverse discrimination argument. You, you realize, oh, there's some learning that needs to take place before mm-hmm. we just entrust anybody really into these spaces with our black and brown children. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's the post Obama racism or the Ed- Edward Boniasiva wrote a book um, called racism without racism. And it's a whole thing about like, mm. listen, we got, we had this old school way of what racism looks like. And then it's like, then there's this, right. And it's, yeah. this is like those microaggressions, right. Those moments where people say stuff and it's just like, well, I didn't, that's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. This actually makes me think of our dear woke at work portion where we ask listeners to send us questions. And so um, this, so we can keep this conversation going, but I, I do want to like bring in this person's question. They didn't want to give a yeah. name, but shout out to you for who, for, for sending us the question. Um, <laughs> and those of you who are listening can continue to send us more questions. Um, this person writes, first of all, I'm really excited about this new pa- podcast. Shout out to the new podcast. Uh, thanks for doing this North star. Shout out to North star. I'd love to hear you two discuss microaggressions in the work or you all to discuss microaggressions in the workplace and while completing your doctoral degree. I definitely experienced this during my PhD program and I really struggled with responding appropriately. So my question is, in what ways have you experienced microaggressions as a woman of color and what's the best way to respond when, capital letters, not if, it happens? So, yeah, that's the perfect I question. I think we started, right? I think we started it because that was a straight up microaggression. Right. Um, and both of you have so much experience in academia as earning your PhDs. And I'm wondering, like, Blanca, we've had this conversation. We've all had this conversation, like, doctor versus not going by your doctor and when that's important and how microaggressions play into that. So I'm curious to know what you two would say to her. Go ahead, Amber. Well, I appreciate the, the, the way the question is phrased, you know, when it happens, not if it happens, because mm-hmm. it it will and it does uh, regularly. Um, I would you know what this question reminds me of uh, when I was still a graduate level professor and um, my students would, you know, it's always a question about like how, it was an overall question in our graduate school about how to be, like how we wanted our students to call us. And um, in my particular campus, it was inconsistent. If you wanted to go by your first name, you could. If you wanted to go by um, Professor Smith, you could do that too. And um, I felt a great deal of necessity around calling myself Dr. Field. now, anybody can call me Amber. And honestly, like in email communications, I texted with my students. There was a piece of me that was like, I really just want to go by Amber. Oh. But I also felt the need to make a statement uh, uh, to society, to our students who were being trained, like mostly white students being trained to go into um, black and brown communities to go by Dr. Field. And... um I be and I and I think it's because I wanted to I wanted to make sure that you know that there was a level of respect that was 
always given. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I worked and not, and then for me in my own work to, you know, my own internal oppression, just thinking about like, I've worked hard for this and I don't need to lessen myself in any way to make other people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so it was important for me to go by Dr. Field in those situations. And that was a real challenge because I had students who refused to call me Dr. Field, no matter how many times I referred to myself as Dr. Field or use Dr. Field in a signature, you know, the email that came back was Amber. Oh, wow. Um, Did you notice a difference? Like, were white students more prone to calling you Amber or? Absolutely. Okay. 100%. And our, and, and even our young, and I would say our younger students, I would, my, my, we had, I had a range of um, ages in my class and my older white students, they did not have, not, I, I'm not making any kind of claim about this. I, I just, there was, I just remembering, you know, that there was a specific, my younger white students just refused to call me Dr. Field. Wait, tell, this could have been your other wow story, but tell us about, tell, tell everybody else about that time. Oh, in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah, So before class, one day before class started, I was chatting, I was chatting with the my students and um, one of my white male students was, you know, he always called me Mrs. Field. So um, we know no matter how many times I said Dr. Field always called me Mrs. Field. And I, this particular day was the end of the year and uh, we were just, you know, closing out. And I said, and I mentioned, I was like, I'm Dr. Field. And he's like, oh, you're Dr. Field. And then I had um, other students of color who were in the air, like who were, you know, just in earshot of the conversation. There's three of them. And all three of them said in some way, yes, she's Dr. Field. Mm. And that moment really struck me in terms of not only like the impact that him always calling me Mrs. Field had on me, but the way that my other students experienced the same thing, my other students of color mm-hmm. experienced it. And we talk and a lot about moment, how it we- like you decided, mm-hmm. um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. No, it's okay. Um, it sounds like, you know, you decided to call that out. You know, like our, it sounds like mm-hmm. our listener's question was like, how do you deal with it when it happens? And I remember being in a workshop that Blanca was leading one time. Um, and I loved an answer that she gave to it because so many young people were just like, I know this is a microaggression. I have the language for it. I see it. I understand it. You know, do I call it out? Is it being obnoxious? And Blanca's answer was like, listen, it's up to you, right? Like you don't, mm-hmm. first of all, you don't owe it to your race to call it out. You know, you don't owe it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't feel like dealing with it that day, if you don't feel like doing the emotional labor, you don't feel like putting in the, putting in that level of work, then, you know, whatever. Like I, I found her response so freeing, like, yes, you can call it out. If, if, if you want to name it and address it, um, then say, yeah, like what you did, it's actually doctor field, you know, because that's a little bit of mm-hmm. an uncomfortable moment that not everybody is willing to step into. And there are days when we feel like stepping into and there are days when we don't. And that we get to make that decision um, from moment to moment, you know, um, issue to issue, I found to be like a really freeing response to how you deal with microaggressions. Some days, yeah, I'm gonna call you out because I'm feeling mm-hmm. that, you know? And then other days mm-hmm. I'm just tired and I'm be like, okay, 
They'll be ignorant. And, mm-hmm. You know, like the thing I used to like, I'll tell people I, to answer there are two questions. One, Ray is like the whole doctor thing. I don't, I don't often go by doctor, um, but everyone else seems upset by the fact that I don't. So then now I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. By. I'm about to change my Instagram handle to be like doctor somewhere in there. I am um, one of those people always telling you and I should only because the reason why I stuck with it Amber knows this like I think we each collectively uh, collectively like I think tried to drop out 20 times we're like we can't do this we can't do this <laughs> that's like the only thing that kept me going was at the time it was 2.5% Latinas with doctorate degrees and that's pretty damn depressing mm. um, so that's why I did it so I guess I should embrace it and hold it um, but to answer like the, what do you say or how do you say, let's say you do decide to disrupt because part of it is for me is like, I get to, I do get to choose if I'm going to put myself in harm and also understanding that the third time of you doing this now I'm pissed. So now yeah. I should say something. Right. Um, but I do, they're like different frames that I've, I've actually said to people where I'm like, one, you could just name it. Right. Like, I don't know if you realize what you said, but uh, this is the impact they had on me, right? Like, so that's that impact intent language. So this is your, while that might not have been your intention and I don't really know what your intention is, the impact they had on me. And I want you to sit, and I want you to sit with it, right? Like, cause that's like, that's not my work. Mm. That's not my emotional labor. Mm-hmm. Like, I want mm-hmm. you to sit with it. I want you to think about it. And then if it's someone white and I want you to have that conversation with other white folks and y'all can process it, but that's the impact they had on me. And I think that's completely mm-hmm. fine, right? And it feels a little uncomfortable, and all that stuff. But I think there are other times to, that you're like, I want you, can you repeat what you said? And I want you to listen to yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I want you to think about, you know, like just for a second as a, as a person, as a woman of color hearing this, is it, it like, what's, what do you think I'm processing? Cause I'm like, mm. most of the times we do the lifting, right? Like as people yeah. of color, and that's, 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 that's hella frustrating, right? And so to say, mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna help you understand versus, nah, this is your 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 consciousness, right? Your level of consciousness um, that you need right. to do. And I don't know what it was you said, uh, Amber, but like, it makes me it made me think something you said about earlier. I just pulled up the Tanahisi quotes that I use often um, when he's talking about, his, you know, like if he's writing to his son. Um, you are growing into consciousness, and my wish for you is that you feel no need to constrict yourself to make other people comfortable, right? Mm, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. like, whoever this listener is, and there's many of us who this is, like, I shouldn't have to constrict myself to make other people feel comfortable. And yeah, I recognize right. that in some spaces, right, it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of, like, keeping my job. It's a matter of, like, not being labeled, but that the idea that I had to, so choosing to not say something sometimes is a form of me not like trying to, you know, like not, I'm not constricting myself right now. And so I yeah. can walk away mm-hmm. from the conversation. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah. Hope no, that yeah. helps um, to our listeners. <laughs> it's up to you. If you feel like doing battle, do it. They're calling somebody out, but letting them do the work. Um, let them do it. Yes. Let them do I it. Know. Okay. Awesome. And I would, but, you know, Go ahead, Amber. I was, I was just going to say that I think that's important. And this is an important reminder for me, right? That we're going to, whether or not we do the work, and if we choose not to do the work, like we, we will leave, we will carry that moment with us. Yeah, that's right. True. And it'll, and it'll stick with us. And we're going to carry the load of it regardless. Yeah. That's and, true. you know, just to, to 
and and I, and I think in some cases that conversation might not even be able to be finished and you might even be fully present for it if you can't call it out and stop it in the moment and say, this just happened and I need to address this. So I just thought about that while you were talking. Awesome. Oh, wait, can I offer one more nugget? Amber, okay, Amber, go Amber, ahead, Amber, Dr. Blanca. <laughs> this is it, though. Amber knows we used to have this mentor, this woman who was like old school New York District uh, Department of Ed, uh, you know, like older white woman, too. And she used to tell us she had a 24-hour rule. So she's like, listen, if somebody says something or something you mad about, address it, you got 24 hours. So like not everything also needs to be addressed in the moment. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'm so heated when I hear things, I'm like, and it's okay to respond out of anger, but it's also out of my own emotional safety. I don't, I'm not actually entertaining this conversation, but I'm gonna let you know about how I feel, just not today. So just I got 24 yeah. hours, Yeah, just not today. Yeah. So that was, that was it, listener. Right. That was okay. it, sorry. Love okay, that. Okay, we're done. Okay, <laughs> uh, now let's go, first of all, this is just an aside, but if people knew like, First of all, we're such baddies. I mean, seriously, here we are holding down kids, trying to keep them at bay. We've been having this conversation, setting up recording remotely, looking at each other, testing mics, you know, kids beating down the doors, trying to get to us, dismissing babysitters. Like, I just want to acknowledge that in the middle of COVID-19, here we are, like, really doing the daggone thing, making it happen. Mm -hmm. So shout out to us, you all. Yeah, I know. I'm taking shots, 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 shots. It's actually no joke. (laughs) Ginger shots from Trader Joe's. I was one of the people. No, ginger, ginger. Oh, ginger. No, I gotta hold off on the gin on the vinegar just in case I need it for cooking in another month or so. So (laughs) Listen, yeah. The way we are (laughs) rationing right now, I'm just like, do you really need two pieces of bread for that sandwich? Right, like (laughs) hold it. (laughs) Follow that bread. Right? You're going to eat crust today. You're going to eat crust today. Oh, my gosh. That's where we are. Rob is, is like, texting me in the background, can I go to the store? (laughs) (laughs) Go and take your kids with you. Exactly. Y'all need to go ahead. Um, all right. Yeah. Okay, you all. So we've come to the part of our show where we want to leave our listeners with an affirmation, um, just something positive um, that you want them to, you know, think about and consider um, as they finish listening to this interview. So, Amber, what is your affirmation? Affirmation. My affirmation is there is nothing wrong with you. Um, just like that. Just like that. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with any of us. We are all doing our best. So um, thank you so much um, for joining us and like making it happen in the midst of all the madness. Um, hope our listeners really, you know, just appreciate um, all that you shared with us today. Okay, so I really loved um, talking to Amber, Dr. Amber Field. (laughs) Uh, What I'm taking away from this interview, you know, I just keep thinking about the fact that um, she had this whole life plan, like so many of us 
women do. You know, she's gonna go to this school and get this degree and become a teacher and then a grade level chair and then principal and so forth and so on and really climb that ladder to reach this position only to realize that that wasn't what was feeding her soul. Mm -hmm. And I love that she made a different choice and, you know, actually didn't even just go from, okay, this position, let me look and see what else is out there. And then right on to the next position and then the next position. Like she took a minute, she took some time to to rest and to wait yep. and to, you know, let her spirituality guide her, um, spend some time with God and, you know, let whatever was going to be next evolve out of that. And I love that she took that time to really to really care for herself and listen to herself in that way. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I, my my takeaway from it too is kind of is so, sort of similar. Um, just uh, you know, I think when when she ended with her affirmation, right, that there's nothing wrong with us, right. I think, you know, just in our experiences of having been in white dominant organizations or white dominant spaces, we start to question ourselves. We start to doubt mm-hmm. ourselves. We start to like, you know, the gut check doesn't necessarily work all the time. Um, or so we think it doesn't. Right. And so, you know, we know ourselves and we we just have to be attuned again with with who we are and know that we are enough. Right. And that. um that despite the messages that we have been sent, um, we know ourselves enough. And so how do we tap back into that is really just what I've been thinking about. What I keep thinking about is how do we tap back into listening to our souls and allowing our souls to be guided, whether it's by a spiritual being, by by ourselves, by, you know, things that we are yeah. grounded in. So lots to learn, to have learned and like to listen to my sister, Dr. Friend. Um, so I'm glad to and have had this space. She has the best voice too, right? Like she has, she, yeah. she has the best voice for interviewing. Like I've never met her because obviously like we talked about, we, we reported right. this in COVID, but she sounds so at peace and just like one with the world. I'm like, how can I get some of that? Yeah, I mean, I'll be trying to get some of that, but she's too busy for the little people over here. I'm like, could you please push some stuff off your plate so you could talk to me? She's always running (laughs) and doing something. But but I'm so happy that she made time so she could share her gifts with us all. You know, I keep talking about everybody who we uh, interview, have they have gifts uh, to share. And so glad that she was able to share her gifts uh, with, with you all and with us. So I'm grateful for you, Dr. Amber Field. We trying to stay woke at work. We trying to stay woke at work. How about you? You trying to stay woke at work. If you trying to stay woke at work, stay true, stay true. We trying to stay woke at work. We trying to stay woke at work. How about you? You trying to stay woke at work. Woke at work. Woke at work. Stay true, stay true.